0: the scripture let me ask you please uh to bow with me to pray father uh, we know that it appears as if our fingers are nimble enough to open the pages of this book uh, and yet i pray that uh, you would open up our our minds really um, the best sense of this word our hearts that we may embrace with all that we are uh the truth you have for us today. Uh, May it sink deep within us, be planted and grow, that we may live in such a way that is pleasing to you and thus um, glorious to us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Genesis and chapter 2. I want to read only uh, two verses. Actually, three. The first three verses of Genesis in chapter two, please. Uh, Hear the word of God. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done uh, in creation now uh, when we began this consideration of covenants we started with what we refer to as the covenant of creation. For those of us who haven't been here uh, through all of this, and it may be your first Sunday. We're taking up this notion of covenant. We're, we're, we're moving off this verse that, that others should be able to say along with me from Psalm 25, verse 14, that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. That is, when God speaks friend to friend, that is when God shares his heart, if we could put it that way, He does so for those who submit to him, who come to him in fear in reverence and awe, saying, you're God and I'm not. Teach me, tell me. And he says, I'll I'll, I'll reveal to you as a friend to a friend. And when I do that, what you'll hear me speak of and what you'll understand is my covenant. Covenant is a word that defines relationship. And this covenant is the relationship that God has with his creation, most particularly God has with us, most particularly God has with his people. And so so we're looking at covenant to understand more about God, to understand more of... Of who we are indeed, uh, as we run through the scripture we find that the organizing principle seems to be covenant these relationships that God makes in relationship so we 've been with this covenant of creation and then we fleshed out this these notions of covenants of works covenant of grace we found this covenant of work that works that God had with Adam it was probationary it was this obedience if you obey you will live if you Disobey, then death will come and even more than that guilt and condemnation and Adam in this covenant relationship with God stood for the whole human race thus what he did we did thus we find ourselves now stricken because of the sin of Adam under guilt and condemnation and so forth but God made a promise that one would come and defeat this evil one and reverse that is to redeem and so then we see this play out as God makes covenant with Noah first saying I'll preserve the earth so that this can happen the promise of Abraham with Abraham saying that one will come from your seed that will bless all the nations of the, the, the all the families of the earth and he's going to, through through Abraham we see build a nation make a nation give him descendants give him people give him land all of that uh, we see then this covenant of law with Moses where the nation comes into being where we begin to understand the of God and and his law, what it takes to please him, convicts us of sin and then he shows also in the midst of that by way of shadows, by way of, of symbols, by way of ceremony that which it takes to live in his presence, that's which he will bring. We find David coming along in this covenant he makes with David, God does, that says one will come and rule and then we find this one Jesus who comes in the new covenant as prophesied by the prophets. Who else would prophesy? And uh, so the new covenant comes, and in Jesus, and he's the one who, who fulfills all of this. He's the one who comes as the last Adam to obey the covenant of works, so that for all those in him, all those he represents, all those who will eventually believe in him, uh, he brings for them life, uh, reverses that which was cursed by, because of the sin of Adam. And we find, too, that this Jesus is the very one that came from the seed of Abraham to bless all the families of the earth as he redeems from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Uh, We find this very one who comes to obey the law of Moses, who fulfills everything that the law pointed to, most especially in its shadows and its ceremonies, such as the priesthood, the sacrifice, the temple, and all of that. We find that he is the very king who will rule and reign the very presence of the righteous rule of God on the face of the earth. This is our Lord Jesus, this very one who has come to fulfill all of that. So we, we see in the midst of that then uh, our relationship with God and his with us. And we began with this whole notion of creation, this covenant of creation. And while the word covenant isn't used in these opening chapters of Genesis, the, very, the, the, the essential elements of what a covenant is in relationship one to another seem to exist here and so it's been known as the covenant if you will the covenant of creation we find that the parties involved in this covenant God and his creation are identified the maker of the covenant is identified that is God himself we come to know who he is he is the creator thus he is the author of all that is thus he has authority over all that is and as the maker of the covenant we understand that his relationship with all of his creation is that he is the one who who's made it thus he's the one who defines everything so he makes the sun to do a particular thing the moon to do a particular thing he makes plants and animals and and human beings all defined by him and he defines who they are because he is the creator and so we understand in the midst of this covenant God is the maker he's the definer of every element in his creation most particularly uh, human beings And when he defines us and makes us, he says that we are created in his image, unique of all his creation. We're created in his image, we're to reflect him. And thus, he gives us stipulations in the midst of this... Covenant, he says that you are to take dominion over the earth and, and and dominion is taken in the context of of working this garden as he lays out for Adam you're to fill the earth he says and through the union of a husband and wife that, that then then children are to come and people are to come out of that union which is to fill the earth and so we see that that even before Adam's sins and all of that we have these stipulations of of, of, of rule over the earth that is the sense of working it the sense of overseeing it uh, and also this sense of, of union between a man and a woman that will result in the filling of the earth as well and then there's that primary stipulation if you will that stipulation that says that you, you can't eat from this particular tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he lays out that stipulation as well that, that probationary stipulation and Adam knows that if he eats of that tree then death will come Uh, guilt will come, condemnation will come, but if he doesn't eat, there's the tree of life from which he can eat and all those who come after him. We know what happens, we know the sin that that takes place, thus these other covenants are, are laid out so that we can see all the way from this promise in Genesis 3:15, all the way through the old covenant covenants, uh, to this new covenant covenant that comes to us in the context of our Lord Jesus as He fulfills everything and He brings to us life. We've taken all that. We've even talked about covenant signs of baptism and communion and all of that. Today, what I want to do, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is, is to is to take up these covenants creation stipulations or covenant ordinances or creation ordinances, these things that were ordained by God seemingly for all of humanity. In, in a sense, this is what it means to be human, to live in submission to God, as Adam was to do even before he sinned, and to, to, to work and also uh, to fill the earth, uh, but also this notion of rest. Rest. This notion of rest, this Sabbath rest, and we see it as we begin to, to, as in the from the passage that I read, that God takes this seventh day, He rests upon it, He ceases. That's all the word Sabbath means. It means to cease, to stop. It doesn't mean seven. It means to cease. Uh, He declared that on this seventh day after this cycle of six days of work and a seventh day to come. It's fallen in the old covenant on what we would call Saturday. Now I would suggest in the new covenant the six days precede Sunday as the early church adapted to this work of Christ. But still that question, what about this this rest? Um, Is it still binding in the same way upon us in the new covenant as it was on those in the old covenant? And is it binding on us, not so much because it was part of the old covenant, but because it was part of creation? That is to say, is, is this part of what it means to be human, to have this cycle of work and rest, to have this cycle where we work six and then cease from our labors on a, on a seventh day and then gaze really upon God, to look to him? So that's the question. Uh, this isn't an easy question. I mean, I'm not going to give you all the debate that's happened over the last 2,000 years about Sabbath observance and all of that. Some of you have your, your own war stories uh, about, uh, about all of that. But, um, but I can tell you that there are uh, heroes, if you will, of the faith people that I could list on both sides of this discussion, whether it's a creation ordinance and still binding to us, or perhaps that it was fulfilled in Christ, just like the sacrifices were fulfilled in Christ, just like the temple worship was fulfilled in Christ, just like um, the, the Passover was fulfilled in Christ, that this Sabbath observance is fulfilled in Christ too, that it's by way of him that we enter into this eternal rest of God. And so we don't have to observe it, or at least don't have to observe it in the same way. So I want to get at some of that today. Now, my personal conclusion concerning whether or not it's a, it's a creation ordinance or just fulfilled by Christ and no longer binding is that I don't know. Okay? Can you live with that? Uh, I have for the last million years. Uh, uh, and I take it up and periodically and I think it through and I read everybody again and I go, ah, they're right and, 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 they're, and they're right. Uh, but, but I think... <laughs> if I can keep from being too wishy-washy here, I think that there's a thread that we can pull through all of it to which we can say, yes, it's that, at least. And then we can be free around all the other things. So let's kind of sort of trace this through. I began, uh, as I read this morning with this passage from Genesis in chapter 2, a familiar one too. us, end of creation, six days God creates, the scripture tells us, uh, in that first chapter of Genesis. And then uh, on this seventh day, uh, it, we read... That God rested. The seventh day seems to have a bit of a different appearance, at least for God, since there's no morning and evening. It doesn't seem to end. God is resting. It means he ceases. Now, that doesn't mean that God was tired and therefore needed a break. That's not his rest, his ceasing. He's God. He doesn't get tired in that sense. Uh, in fact, if you, however you take Genesis 1, it doesn't seem like it was that hard. He just said stuff and stuff happened. Right? Well, that'd be cool. Like, carpet, get clean right Whew, that didn't take much <laughs> i do that all day um but uh so it isn't when he ceases he ceased from something that is he stopped creating he ceased if you will in the same way ceased from his, all his work that he had done in creation we know that he continues to be active jesus said on the sabbath that i am working and my father is working meaning he's active right now he sees from creation from creating but but he's active and we we know that even at this point all of redemptive history is still to come and so all of history that god will work out and sustain and all of that he's still going to be active involved in it, but he's ceasing on this particular day and he and he says as the creation is done and the creation is very good that he 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 he, he hallows or makes holy, set apart this particular, this particular day. Now the question is: Did Adam get that? In other words, was this a cycle of work and rest for Adam? Was this a cycle of six days working, one day rest, and on that day of rest, then to to stop what he was doing in his own labors? Because he would indeed work; he would work the garden. Unlike God, Adam would get tired even before the fall. He needed food to sustain him. He got hungry. Uh, And so he is a human being, and as a human being, uh, uh, he would need food, and he would need rest, and all of that, just like any other human being would, even before sin, sin didn't come, uh, and the result of sin just simply making us tired. Uh, Sin makes us weary. So I suspect Adam was never weary, but he would get tired, and he would have a cycle of working and resting, no doubt, in this seven-day cycle and perhaps even to take this one day that God had hallowed in reference to God's rest and gaze upon God and there's a sense in which everything comes into perspective on that moment in time I get who you are, I get who I am no confusion here you're the one who made all of this you're the one who supplies all of this I work it but under you I fill it but, but, but under you you are the one who really is God I am not now, before sin, that wouldn't necessarily have been a temptation like it is to you and me. But, but there's a sense in which is Adam created in the image of God following the pattern of, of God's creative week and to work and to rest, to work and to rest. So we see it there. We, we don't really find too much uh, about Sabbath, a little bit about Uh, a seven-day cycle from time to time until really we get into Exodus in chapter 16. And, And there it's mentioned again, and it's mentioned in the context of the Israelites gathering manna. So it tells you how long from this Genesis 2 notion all the way to the gathering of the manna because at that point in time, the Israelites have already spent 400 years in Egypt and have now been released, if you will, delivered by God through the um, work of Moses. And now they're in the wilderness and they're hungry and God gives them manna. Actually, not in the wilderness yet. They're coming up to Sinai. So he's giving them this this manna to eat. And notice in Exodus 16, verse 22. Uh, the instruction for gathering manna was that on the sixth day... You gathered twice as much. Now why would you do that? Unless there was in their heads, unless there was some tradition, unless they had some knowledge of a Sabbath day that was different than all the others, a seventh day upon which they ought to rest. No doubt they didn't find much sympathy amongst their Egyptian uh, slave masters about not working that seventh day. I don't think they got away with, hey, we're Israelites, we don't work today. Uh, I think the whips would happen at that point in time. Verse 22 of Exodus 16. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two homers each. uh, And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy set-apart, Sabbath ceasing To the Lord, and so this isn't just for you, but there's a sense in which this shows something about you and God. You're to stop, uh, your your gathering, not gather on that day, and to rest. And it's a solemn rest that is a consecrated rest, that is a rest then that looks, that gazes upon, that looks to uh, God. And then he gives them instructions, and then in verse, uh, uh, 24, so they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and didn't, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. We're a little worried about that. Verse 25, Moses said, eat it today for today it's, it is, it, Today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And so you get a sense of, again, this Sabbath uh, being reinstituted at least amongst the people and then in exodus in chapter 20 the sort of famous one we've read a lot of this already in our responsive reading as you know we front and load our sermons but um, through the worship service but in exodus chapter 20 verse 8 god gives a rationale for this sabbath day and he connects it back to creation remember he says the sabbath day it is don't neglect it to keep it holy set apart different six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And so similar language is in Exodus 16. But again, he's, 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 uh, he's going to connect it uh, to creation. Um, on it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourners, sojourner who is with you in your gates. In other words, everybody in your household, you should free them. Everybody that works for you should free them. Um, on this day as well for in six days here's the rationale the Lord made the heaven made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy so all the way back to creation that very text in Genesis 2 that Moses wrote as he was writing all of this to the people he was connecting these two things together he's saying this is the rationale for it God is the creator he's the source he's the provider we work and we might become confused and think that perhaps it comes from us but it really doesn't so stop on this seventh day give him thanks stop on the seventh day recognize it comes from him and not from you put everything right in perspective this day is, is a holy day uh, from God and then in Exodus in chapter 31 in verse 12 we read this and the Lord said to Moses you are to speak to the people of Israel and say above all you shall keep my Sabbaths now it's plural there because this weekly Sabbath was not the only Sabbath there were other Sabbaths or other ceasings uh, feast days could likely be ceasings from work all right, so there are other Sabbaths. And then there was the sabbatical year that they would have because, as an agricultural community. And then there was the, the 50th year, which was a year-long, a 50-year uh, year jubilee that if anybody had lost their property during that period of time, then it, could be, it would be returned to them. And so various kinds of ceasings, various kinds of Sabbaths. He says, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this, singular, is a sign. So it points to something, these Sabbaths including the weekly one, <clears throat> a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And he says, listen, you are my people. And so what I'm going to do with this Sabbath is I'm going to, to set you apart by it and show the whole world and show you that you belong to me, that I'm the one who takes care of you, that I'm the one who provides for you, that you, you are mine. You work six days, but I'm giving you a day off. And on this seventh day, you are to gaze upon me because I am the one who makes you different i'm the one who makes you holy you belong to me and then notice notice how serious this is he says you shall keep the sabbath because it is holy for you everyone who profanes it shall be put to death whoever does any work on it that soul shall be cut off from among his people six days shall work be done but the seventh day is a sabbath of solemn rest we've seen that before holy to the lord same language as before that we saw in exodus 16 Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. You go, wow. Woo, that's a little serious. Uh, well, yes. Because this is the covenant that God has made that you are my people. And this day I set apart you as holy unto me, this day holy. If you break it, what you're essentially saying when you break the Sabbath is you're saying, God, I don't really trust you. God, I don't really believe you. God, God, you're really not worth it. God, 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 I don't think you're the provider. I think I need to do this. And while that doesn't seem so oh serious to us, that's really serious to God. In fact, it's not any less serious than for a person to stand in the very presence of God and say, I don't need the righteousness of Jesus. I can do it myself. How serious is that? For someone in this covenant to work on the Sabbath is to say, God, I really don't think you can provide for me. I really need to take matters into my own hands and I really need to do this. And so, you get the point. It's this covenantal issue again. So, whoever does any work on the Sabbath they shall be put to death. Now remember in ancient Israel there were courts and there were mitigating circumstances. There were all kinds of things. It's not that like somebody noticed someone uh, doing some work and, 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 and they just hung them on the spot. So there was justice and all of that. But, but, but bear in mind, verse 17, here's why. It, this Sabbath, is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. He says, now listen. This is for you so that you may be refreshed. So, so I want you to cease. Sign of trust, you'll be refreshed. You, in a sense, God is saying, you really need this. And on these Sabbaths too, there would be gatherings. In Leviticus in chapter 23, we read this of the Sabbath days, most especially um, this weekly Sabbath. Sabbath. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations, they are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Now a convocation is a gathering. Convocation is something that which is called so people come and assemble. Do you see on this Sabbath day, unto the Lord they ceased from work, called to gather. We see this most especially in the days of Jesus in the, in the synagogue system, if you will, where the Jews were, were dispersed and they weren't in Jerusalem. And, and so synagogues would crop up all over the place so that Israelites could, on the Sabbath, gather. And so they would gather on the Sabbath, the holy convocation ceased from their work, unable to make sacrifices and all that because they weren't close to the temple. But they could cease from their work and they would come to pray and they would come to read the scripture. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 4? It was a Sabbath day. He was in the synagogue. And what did he do? He took the scroll and he read it. Why? Right, because it was common for people to take the scroll and to read it. And he was there, so he took the scroll and he read it. He freaked them out by what he read and what he said, but that was just Jesus. And, uh, uh, but it but happened, point is, on this convocation day, on this Sabbath. So, so you, I, I trust you're getting a, a sense of what all this looks like and why it is, in fact, uh, important in ancient Israel. In fact, the this, this Sabbath wasn't to be a burden, but we read in our, our, our responsive reading this morning as well, from Isaiah chapter 58, that Jesus, in a, that God, in a sense, is saying to the people, you need to call my Sabbath a delight. It isn't to be a burden. In fact, Jesus is pretty explicit about that. In Mark, in chapter 2, Jesus is getting in trouble with religious leaders because they made uh, the Sabbath a burden. With all the rules and regulations. And they missed the point of it. And that was Jesus' continual word to them. It, it wasn't that you shouldn't observe this Sabbath. Of course he was there under the old covenant. But it was that you should observe it rightly. And he would continue to, to speak to them about how irrational and ungodly they were being about their Sabbath observed. They were worried about all the small things and missing all the big things. And he was saying, well, what would be wrong? with healing someone on the sabbath <laughs> isn't that isn't that rest isn't that what, what, what is godly to do what is right to do and so in Mark chapter 2 after one of these incidents it wasn't about healing it was about something else in Mark chapter 2 verse 27 Jesus said to them the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath in other words God provides this for you because you need this as human beings this is something you need you need rest. You need to cease from labor. You need to cease from labor first because you're human and you need the rest. But more than that, you need to cease from your labor and gaze up to God so that you keep your life right. So that you keep getting it. That this isn't about me. It's about God. That I'm not the one that provides. He does. That, that, that he's the one who is the source of all that I have. I stop and I rest and I look to him and I get everything back in perspective. And I say, yes, that's that. That's it. If you don't do that, then you see you run off. Not only become weary, but, but but you forget about who God is and who you are. Forget about who God is and who I am. He says man was made, the Sabbath was made for man all the way back in creation. God, in a sense, institutes it by his own pattern of life. And he says you, human beings need this. This is part of what it means to be human. Part of what it means to be human is to stop from that which procures your own material needs, if you will, to stop and to gaze at God. You need this. You don't do this, everything else gets out of whack. And then he said something even more astounding. He said, so the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And in saying that, he said this, I'm the one who instituted this. I'm the one, therefore, who is the creator. I'm the one on that seventh day as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm the one in God, as God, who sanctified this day. And that that freaked them out a good bit as well. So you get that sense. But then there's this passage. I'm not going to... Twist your minds too much. But there's this passage in Colossians in chapter 2, verse 16. Almost done with this sort of review, and then we'll get to some things. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, where... The apostle writes, and he's writing to the church in Colossae, and they're getting hung up over all kinds of, of, of rules and regulations, getting hung up about what it really means to follow Christ. And, and the, 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 there's some false teachers, no doubt, in Colossae who are laying out that, yes, Jesus is good, uh, but, but not all sufficient. There are these other things as well, and uh, it happened very often in the early church, happened happens still in, in, in the church today. And so Paul was laying out the sufficiency, really, of Christ Therefore, verse 16, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, perhaps referring back to the food laws in the, in the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, saying those were fulfilled in Christ. You don't have to worry about those anymore. You don't have to, 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 to satisfy those. Or with regard to a festival, could have been some of the feasts of the Old Testament, or a new moon, certainly a festival in the old covenant, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, all these things have been fulfilled in Christ. So trust him. He's the substance of all of this. And so the question that some have raised over the years is, well, maybe that means we no longer need to worry about this whole Sabbath rest thing uh, because it's fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, now, the author of Hebrews plays on that as well in Hebrews in chapter 4. For instance, verse <clears throat> no, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 16 the author of Hebrews writes, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Here the author of Hebrews is saying, Listen, if all these people who, who, who left Egypt led by Moses, and yet they, they never got to enter into the promised land. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest? But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, justice to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, As I swore in my wrath, thou shalt not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, he says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In other words, there's a sense in which the Sabbath reflects the work of Christ. There's a sense in which the Sabbath says to cease from striving because Christ has done it. So there's that piece as well in all of this. And there's a sense in which we enter into that rest as we trust in him. But yet, there's a sense in which that rest is still to come. For he says here, so then, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So what do we do with all of this? Well, the early church and our early church fathers Early church, I mean that which we find in the book of Acts and that which we find throughout the scripture seems clearly not to have struggled with any of this, <laughs> particularly. They, they, they seemed very content, the apostles and those who came after them, to, to, to set aside the first day of the week, that seventh day. In fact, the early church fathers, not in the scriptures, but the early fathers that came after, often referred to Sunday as the eighth day. They didn't want to get confused with the seventh day, so they called it the eighth day. It really confuses everything, however. But the point was, it is, it's, it's like the Sabbath of the old covenant, but we're not bound there. It's this real freedom, this real deliverance, this recreation that happens by way of the resurrection of Jesus and so we find for instance in the book of Acts that on various occasions uh, the church gathers on this, on this first day for instance in Acts chapter 20 verse 7 on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech well he preached longer than me is all that says um, and so I know it surprises you uh, but uh, he preached all night so there you go uh, but on this, on, this, on, this, on, this, on this first day of the week. Why that? Because that was the day that Jesus resurrected. He, he showed himself on that first Sunday. He showed himself the next week on the next Sunday. And so it became for the, 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 the early church, yes, this is the day we'll gather. I read during our, our, our offering time that the church gathered uh, on that first day of the week. They would accumulate their, their gift on that day. Their giving on that day, on the first day of the week. And so they would come. The question is, In what sense is this related to this, perhaps, ordinance at creation? What should we do? Now, of course, in the history of the church, there's been all kinds of do's and don'ts, all kinds of lists of things you can do and can't do on the Sabbath. I'm not going to give you one of those. If you can't figure that out, I can't help you. Uh, And so, but with a principle here, and I would say what... Everyone has pulled through all of the history from Old Covenant to New all from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all from creation to the fall throughout the Old Testament, covenants through the New Covenant in Jesus. What we find in the whole history of the church, no matter how we come down on the technicalities, is that people have always said, Christians have always said, the apostles seem to agree with this as well, that this Sunday, this one day, we should have a holy convocation. We should stop. We should cease and we should gaze upon the Lord, and we should worship together. We see the church coming together to worship on this first day uh, throughout, as I said, throughout the New Testament, throughout uh, the early church. It was this day, that, and Christians have continued to do that. Isn't it amazing, after all of these years, here we are, On a Sunday. Now, things have interrupted that because of political reasons and so forth and so on, but but here we are still on a Sunday, still saying that that there is a Sabbath rest that Jesus has promised and that we enter into by believing. And, and, And we still say this is good for us because the real question is is this necessary for human beings? Did God lay this out in creation in such a way that it's necessary for human beings that He's put us? On this seven-day cycle of this week, six days to labor and to work and to be concerned about all of that. But then he says, what you must do, what I've made for you this Sabbath, what you must do is cease on this one day, on the seventh day. He doesn't say Saturday. He says on the seventh day. That is after six days of work. So it could be Saturday. It could be Monday. It could be Friday. But, but for us, it's Sunday because of why? Because of Jesus rising from the dead. And so, he says, take this one day, set it aside, so that you don't get confused about who you are. And God says, about who I am. It's important. But do you realize that just because you cease from work doesn't mean you can rest? The only way you can really rest when you cease from work is if you trust that you're provided for. and the only way you can trust that you're provided for is to really know the one who's provided. And to know that all is right with him and to know that you really do belong to him. So we come together in a holy convocation. And what do we do when we come together to worship on this one day in seven? Well, we, we take our gaze off of us So we first come into worship. And what do we hear first? Well, we sing a song. And what do we do, why do we sing that song? We sing it because it tells us something about, about God. Today it was God is our creator for the beauty of the earth. And then we stop and then we, we pray and we cast our cares upon him. We say, God, help us in the midst of all of this so that we can, we can know you we hear a call to worship. That is, we hear something from Scripture where God is telling us who he is and he's drawing us to himself. And then in the midst of that too, we come and we, we make confession because we can't really rest until we know that we really do belong to him. And then in the midst of that confession, uh, as we come in the name of Christ, we, we know that in him we're forgiven and thus we hear assurance and say, yes, we're forgiven in him. And then we can really cease from striving, not just in the work of our lives, but but, but in righteousness as well, because we know that he has come and done it for us. We belong to God. And then we give him thanks. We worship, we praise, singing. We make profession of faith. We say, we believe this so that we can cease, so that we can rest. And then we hear from him. And then in our hearing of him, He confirms to us who he is and who we are and how it is that we're to live and how he is essentially with us. We receive at his table to know his very presence. We hear his benediction. And he says, I go with you. You're blessed. That's why we do it in the morning, by the way. Why waste the rest of the day worrying about all that? So we do it in the morning. So when we do it in the morning, so it sets You see, it sets the day. Now you see, the danger for us in our culture is not simply the fact that we might work away this day out of a lack of trust in God. Now sometimes you have to. There are needs of necessity and there are other kinds of things and and not everybody has an employer that's, that's sympathetic to all of this and so I understand those tensions and those difficulties and all of that. But it really may not be work that's our biggest enemy to Worship, it might be leisure in our culture. That's probably bigger. It's that morning cup of coffee and newspaper, whether it's electronic or paper, however it is for you, and, oh, I need this. Wow, do you? Would God really say that that, that it's really best for you, what will refresh you is to come in a holy convocation and worship, if that really weren't true? Is that run that important? Is that golf that important? Is that game that important? Would God really say to us that I'm going to harm your children by having worship on Sunday so they'll miss football games or baseball games or tennis matches or whatever they're into on that time? Can't you set apart this time so that? Would it really be harmful for us? Is it really harmful? No, no. He says, it isn't that at all. This is for your blessing. Jesus said, I made this. I made this for you. You need this. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in the world, believer or not, set apart one day to cease and to gaze upon God? Do you realize that you couldn't rest unless you would trust? Do you realize you couldn't rest in his presence when you really understood he was, who he was, until things were right with him? So God said, this is, this is what it means to really live. This is what it really means to be human. You need to cease and gaze. <laughs> Is most certainly true for us as believers in Christ, in covenant with Jesus. It's most important for us. You remember the author of Hebrews said that we should not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Why did he say that? He said because we need to encourage one another as long as it's called today. Why did he say that? He said that because he knows that's what we need. He knows this isn't an individual thing, it's a group thing. We all must come together. And so he said, don't forsake this. This is really, really important. Really important. Sometimes it doesn't seem that much, that important. But that's the deal, isn't it? It's this long obedience in the same direction. It's this long trust. It's this saying, no, this is true. This is what I'll do. In fact, where else but here? Can you hear the one who can really deliver say, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. You don't hear that anywhere. But here. And Jesus can deliver that because in the night that he was betrayed he took bread and after giving thanks he he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup after giving thanks he gave this to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me he says for as often as you eat of this cup and or eat of this bread and drink of this cup the apostle says you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes proclaim it to whom proclaim it to us and why do we need to hear it? See it, feel it, smell it, taste it. So we don't forget. Because you see, this is the very foundation of our ceasing and our trusting. Let's pray, Father. Gotta pray for me, for us, that we would be able to rest in you. To cease from our labors because we trust that you're the provider. To cease from our striving knowing that Jesus is the righteous one and righteous for us. That we know that you provide our material needs. We know that you supply our righteousness. We know that we need that message weekly because of how you've made us to be. And so here we are. We pray that you would fulfill that, that as we come to this table, Lord Jesus, we'll meet with you. As we come to this table, we'll hear the proclamation so that we know that all is right with you that we've forgiven our sins. We stand righteous before you, that we depend upon you, that you will provide and protect. So, Father, I pray that you would set apart this bread and this juice in such a way that we would feel the message, smell the message, taste the message, know that Christ is here with us because of what he has done that we belong to you. This we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I remind you this table is not the table of grace of Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who understand that apart from him there is no rest. Understand that they're sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. Understand. That there is salvation, that is, there is acceptance by God, forgiveness of sins for all those who come to Jesus and believe in him as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners and who desire to live in such a way that is pleasing to him. That's true for you. Uh, please come. This section can come down, these two, down this aisle to my left. There's two sections down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and remind yourself that Jesus has made rest for you. Please come.